Get ready to rumble. Chilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes David A. Stockman, Director of the Office of Management and Budget under President Ronald Reagan, a best-selling author of The Great Money Bubble, Protect Yourself from the Coming Inflation Storm. And David, thanks for joining us today. Very happy to be with you. I'd like to start here because there's a lot of confusion. What is inflation and what is not inflation? Well, uh, I guess in a uh, narrow sense, it's when the price of gasoline goes from $2 to 5 or when grocery bills uh, you know, increase by 15 20% or when... Um, you know, I guess lately in the last year, eggs are up fifty uh, percent. So that's what people think about inflation, and that is part of the story. But I think the big picture is that inflation is ultimately too much money printing by the central bank, by the Federal Reserve, that works its way into both the financial system and the main street or real economy and causes everything to be overstated and inflated, not just uh, the price of eggs, <laughs> a dozen eggs, but uh, the stock market, the price of bonds, the price of real estate, uh, even things uh, that people thought were a alternative, uh, such as uh, cryptocurrencies, crypto coins. Everything ultimately gets uh, distorted and polluted when we have bad central bank policy, when we have too much money printing, uh, too much liquidity being shoved into the financial uh, system and the, uh, ultimately the real economy by the central bank. And that's where we are now. They've been doing this uh, for years, even decades, and we've reached the point where the system is beginning to break down. We're going to go into a period, I think, of uh, correction and deflation for a good while to come. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned this has been going on for years, David, because I have been opining for many years, where's the inflation? Where's the inflation? We go back to the Obama years, but I know through reading your book, it goes much further than that. But all of this massive spending and everything, they seem to keep a lid on it. How did they do that for so long? And why is it manifesting now? Well, that's a great question. And there was an adjustment process in the first phase of this, uh, I would say uh, from the 1990s and through uh, the Obama administration and even longer, much of the inflation and never got out of uh, uh, Wall Street, the canyons of Wall Street. The great inflation was uh, the stock market and tech stocks uh, and uh, you know uh, things like uh, Tesla that became. Uh, vastly, vastly overvalued as all of this liquidity poured into markets. Uh, obviously, traders are going to respond uh, to, to stimulus they get from the Fed. Uh, they borrowed money at almost no cost, 
and speculated in all these different financial assets. So we, in phase one, we had a big financial asset inflation. Uh, secondly, a lot of it got exported uh, to the rest of the world because the dollar is the uh, driving currency of the world. And as the Fed inflated, uh, other central banks felt compelled to do the same uh, on the fear that if they didn't, their currency would appreciate against the dollar. Exports from their own country would be penalized and uh, they would be in trouble with their political authorities or rulers, as the case may be. So secondly, you got a lot of inflation exported around the world. And in return, what we got back was cheap goods made in China or uh, Vietnam or India or Mexico, and that kept the measured inflation rate, the so-called CPI rate, lower than would have otherwise been the case had we not offshored so much of our production as a result, again, uh, of uh, uh, counterproductive Fed policy. But finally, after all this uh, financial asset inflation, all of this exporting of uh, excess money to the rest of the world, uh, we finally reached the point where we had the great COVID crisis, the supply chains of the world broke down. We got into a big proxy war uh, with Russia in the Ukraine, and all these things came together uh, to essentially blow up uh, this great uh, financial bubble, money bubble as I call it that had been created over the previous uh, decades, uh, two or three decades. You mentioned in the book, and you just mentioned, the kind of outsourcing of American industry to places around the world. And I want to ask you, if we had not done that, if we had maintained our industrial production here in the United States as we had traditionally done, what would be different today? Well, I think the, the difference is that we would have had a bout of goods and services inflation much earlier. In other words, it would have been more like the 1970s. In the 1970s, the Fed got out of control for the first time, printed way too much uh, money that fueled domestic credit, which then led to uh, excess demand versus available supply. And prices uh, went up and we had uh, double-digit inflation in the 1970s. But there weren't any big economies available to export to the U.S at a cheaper price than could be produced here. Now, what happened after the 1990s, of course, is that China decided, well, we're going to have a form of red capitalism, uh, make uh, unlimited credit available to the uh, economy, and uh, they got a great uh, <clears throat> you know, investment and export boom going. And as a consequence of that, uh, when the excess demand got created domestically, uh, as a result of uh, spending and borrowing by Congress and money printing by the Fed, uh, for a time that uh, you know that excess demand was absorbed by producers uh, in China and in the global supply chain that uh, you know materialized for the first time in a big way after the mid 1990s. Uh, and so that did, uh, on a temporary basis, keep uh, the inflation rate, at least as it was being measured by the BLS, uh, kept the inflation rate uh, down, or it made it appear to be that we had, they had even had the term lowflation. In other words, the Fed was complaining we didn't have enough inflation. 
Uh, but that was a transitory thing. That was not sound economics. That was not sustainable. It was an aberration that came from a very bad monetary policy. There was recently legislation called the CHIPS Act, and there have been other attempts by uh, former President Trump to kind of reestablish the uh, industrial base of the United States of America. Is that the way to do it? Is it done through the executive, or is there some market way that we could bring this back? Because it sounds like it would be beneficial to the country in the long run. Yeah, if you have to bring it back, but not through subsidies and not what I would call state intervention. In other words, uh, you're just going to pick winners and losers you're going to create, as a result of this uh, huge subsidy they made available, $50, billion, it was something like that, tremendous uh, lobbying pressure uh, for the right, correctly positioned companies to get the money, whether they're the most innovative, whether they're uh, the right recipients or not. I think the far better way is uh, to get back to sound money. If we would get our budget under control, if we would stop borrowing so much money, and, to- and the Fed uh, got back to uh, minding its proper business of creating uh, sound dollars, ultimately uh, production would come back to the United States. But right now, our cost structure is so high because the Fed is inflated so much. And when you inflate, you inflate everything, not just prices, but wages, costs, real estate, you know, everything that goes into the process of production. As a result of all that inflation, we're not as competitive as we need to be. And the only way to get back to domestic production is to uh, have a sound monetary policy. I'd like to talk for a few moments about Milton Friedman, who is generally lauded and revered. And your take on him was very interesting because you don't think that he was a helpful influence in United States economic policy. Would you describe that, please? He was a great free market man and his views on like rent control and wage and price controls and uh, whether you should regulate, uh, you know, things like uh, surface transportation, airlines. He was right on all that. But when it came to money, he had a weak spot. He had a blind spot. He was a worshiper of the Fed. And, uh, of course, it was the Fed, according to his view of how much money should be created, what should be targeted, and so forth. He was basically anti-gold and pro-discretionary policy on the part of the Fed. And his whole view of the 1930s and what caused the Great Depression, which he think was because the Fed, which he claimed was because the Fed didn't create enough money uh, during 1930 to 1933 or so. You know, I, I strongly dispute, and I've uh, written a lot about why that isn't the case, and that we shouldn't listen to Friedman when it comes to money. We need to get back to uh, kind of a gold standard, uh, sound money view of the role of the Fed. You mentioned the Fed. There's a lot of people, and and I guess the notable critic of the Fed has been uh, Ron Paul, but many others who are very suspicious of the Fed, their motives, and really what's going on there. So what do we do about the Fed, and is it even legal? Well, that's a good question. Um, But I think the one huge change that would make all the difference in the world is if we got back to the original design of the Fed that was put in place, actually, 1913, mm. when uh, the legislation first passed that created the Fed, 
and that legislation was uh, led by the famous uh, Congressman Carter Glass, who later became Treasury Secretary and then a senator uh, who wrote the Glass-Steagall Act in the 1930s. But anyway, his view was that the role of the Fed was to be a banker's bank. It wasn't set up to engage in what I call monetary central planning, targeting the inflation rate, the unemployment rate, the number of housing starts, the rate of business investment, and all the other things they target. That, In his view, the only job of the Fed uh, was to um, operate a discount window where bankers could come with good collateral, uh, you know, reflecting uh, inventories, finished inventories, or receivables for goods already produced and shipped could come and receive cash in return for those uh, sound assets if they needed to pay uh, down uh, depositors or if they needed to increase their uh, reserve base. That was the original um, mandate, uh, mission of the Fed, and it had nothing to do with all of the stuff that goes on today with all the targeting in the attempt of 12 people who sit on the open market committee and make decisions every hour about meddling and intervening in financial markets and setting interest rates on the whole, you know, maturity curve from overnight money to 30-year U.S. treasuries. None of that was in the purview of the Fed. It's not necessary. The free market can handle finding the right price for government debt and for overnight uh, loans and for stocks and for real estate and everything else. Let the free market uh, set prices in the financial system. Let the Fed be uh, only a uh, backup source of liquidity to the banking system and get on with capitalism as it was originally designed to function. But who can clip their wings? Who's in in a position to do what you just suggested? What I'm suggesting could easily be done by Congress. They would just change the statute, and they would, they created the Fed and gives it its powers, and they would uh, basically make two changes. One would be to abolish the so-called FOMC, the Fed's Open Market Committee, which is the uh, source of the day-to-day constant, uh, you know, intervention and pegging and meddling in the financial system. And second, they could say that the Fed can no longer buy any government debt and therefore monetize uh, the borrowings that the politicians uh, undertake year in and year out. Only thing that it could own would be, uh, you know, business credit, commercial credit, household credit, uh, that was sound and had uh, a very high chance of being repaid. Those are big changes, but you could you could put them in a five-page statute. And if they had no FOMC, only the discount window, which was originally their their sole uh, tool, and if they were not allowed to uh, buy and monetize and accumulate government debt. Uh, it would be a totally different uh, ball game, and it could be done through statutory change. But, of course, you need a majority in the House and the Senate, and you need a president willing to sign the bill. None of those we have today. Uh, certainly the Senate isn't going to pass that, and Biden would veto it. But, you know, things change over time, and uh, there's still hope 
that you know the politicians will finally understand the Fed isn't their friend and that it might be monetizing all the debt and making it easy for them to spend and borrow. But at the end of the day, it creates a lot of distortion, all of this inflation, and uh, a lot of harm to the public, including, you know, wage earners who are getting uh, further and further behind the eight ball because inflation is running higher than wage gains, and savers who have been crushed for years and years and years, first by the ultra-low interest rates and now uh, by the inflation uh, that's out of control, subject to the Fed's desperate attempt uh, to bring it to heel. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues with David A. Stockman in just a moment. Support this podcast online at shillingshow.com. Borderhawk.news is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The Borderhawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and, in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. Borderhawk.news highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. Borderhawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. Borderhawk.news will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark Borderhawk.news. Add them on social media at News on Twitter. Bill's Community Watchdog. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Our guest is David A. Stockman. The new book is The Great Money Bubble, Protect Yourself from the Coming Inflation Storm. I'd like to talk about gold. You reference it a lot in the book, and I want to go back to, I believe, what was something that took place during the FDR years was the prohibition of everyday Americans from owning gold. When I learned about that as a young person, I was astounded, first of all, that they would even attempt that. And second of all, that it uh, was able to be put into effect. So can you tell us about what was behind that and what happened as a result of that? Well, yes, that was one of the greatest financial policy mistakes, monetary policy mistakes in history. Because Prior to then, what we were on what has been described as the gold coin standard. And what that meant was that if people really lost confidence in their government or the nascent central banks that had been created at that time, they had the right to privately accumulate gold coins or even gold bullion and therefore had an alternative to government-supplied currency and government-supplied money. And basically, that was the heart of the gold standard, the true gold standard, because it kept the system honest. People basically didn't have to use government money, uh, you know, hand-to-hand currency printed by the uh, Fed, uh, if they had the alternative transacting in gold uh, money. They understood this. The centralists, activists, government interventionists understood this in the 
FDR's administration and the Roosevelt administration and decided that the key thing they had to do was get uh, gold out of circulation so that people would have no choice but, one, to use the government's money, and, second, to tolerate whatever, uh, you know, the government was going to do to it by way of controlling interest rates or generating inflation that... uh, depreciated its value and so forth. So that was the big mistake. And then the second mistake finally happened in 1971 when Nixon basically took gold out of circulation even between governments. After Roosevelt and especially the World War II creation, Bretton Woods and the creation of the international monetary system, basically limited the role of gold to settlement uh, between uh, central banks or governments. And in 1971, Nixon pulled uh, you know, the plug on that as well. So it's a two-step thing. Take it away from the public first. Roosevelt did that in the 30s. Then uh, remove it from the system entirely. Uh, Nixon did that uh, in 1971. And we've been off to the races ever since. There was a proposal a few years back, maybe five or six years, by the former president of Mexico to go to a silver standard. I remember him talking about that. Is there any nation in the world that pegs its currency to gold or silver? And what would happen if the United States decided in policy that they were going to do that again? Well, first of all, it's not crazy because half of the world was on a silver standard in the nineteen or in the late 19th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, uh, it was called a bimetallic standard. That's what a lot of the agitation in the United States uh, was. Uh, people might know a little bit about William Jennings Bryan and don't crucify uh, the nation on a cross of gold and all that. So there was kind of a battle between the silver forces and the gold forces, but ultimately uh, it proved to be the case that a, a single metallic standard with gold having a much greater acceptability around the world won out uh, during that era. But Mexico was on a silver standard then, and a lot of Europe was as well. So it's been done before. It would certainly be better if we had uh, silver as a, a form of backing for money or even as a form of transaction uh, money. Uh, it would be a lot better than simply uh, the cash-printed by the Federal Reserve, but it's not likely to happen. You can get too complicated about this. Uh, If we're going to do anything, we need to relink the money to gold as a starting point. You mentioned China earlier, and I want to go to this topic of currency manipulation. We've heard a lot about China playing against us and manipulating their currency against ours. How serious is this problem, and is there anything that can be done about it from our side? Yeah, what can be done about it is tell the Fed to stop creating so much money. In other words, if we look at what's happened in the world, and it's not just China, but what has happened generally since the point we've been talking about, 1971, uh, and the end of Bretton Woods and the gold standard uh, between central banks, it took decades, but finally um, uh, the Fed printed so much money that other central banks felt they had no alternative but to uh, basically engage in a race to the bottom. You know, you print too much, uh, too many dollars, the Japanese are going to print too many yen, and uh, ultimately the Europeans created uh, the ECB and the euro because uh, uh, the uh, Deutschmark was too strong. 
you know, they engaged in the same uh, competitive race to the bottom, the same depreciation of their own money, uh, expansion of their own uh, monetary uh, base and supply, as did the Fed. I look at it as the, the problem that uh, all the shirts in the laundry are dirty, and the Fed is, you know, the dollar is probably only the cleanest dirty shirt, but it's still pretty dirty, and what we have to do is basically get the Fed back on the track of uh, creating uh, sound money. And if they did that, I think the rest of the world would have little choice but uh, to stop uh, intervening and manipulating their currency. They do that as a defensive uh, mechanism against the Fed's uh, money printing. And if the Fed would stop... (laughs) you would have not nearly as much of what we call, you know, currency market manipulation or intervention or what they called for a while after uh, 1971, the dirty float. Uh, You know, the the whole theory that Friedman had, and again, this is why I criticize him in the book, was, well, just let the free market determine exchange rates. Well, that would have been great in theory if it happened, but it never happened. Governments constantly intervene and blame other governments for their need uh, to protect themselves from um, appreciating exchange rate and thereby um, less competitiveness in the uh, global export market. Now, ultimately, that isn't true. Uh, An appreciating currency will cause domestic price levels and costs to come down. You become more competitive you can lower your prices and you still can keep exporting, but nobody has the patience for that. And so when the Fed depreciates the dollar, the Japanese print even more yen in order to keep the exchange rate of the yen as low as possible. And, you know, that's what we've had for 20, 30 years. The Chinese aren't particularly unique in this. Uh, they all do it because the Fed does it. We should talk about how people protect themselves in all of this because we're in uncharted waters. I don't think we've seen a time quite like this before. So, David, what are some of the steps people can take to protect themselves from this coming inflation storm? Well, I think the main thing is to recognize the uncharted water phrase that you just used. We're at the end of an era. The party is over. All the monetary inflation that made it easy to apparently appreciate your wealth and assets in the stock market or the real estate market or even uh, in the uh, bond market, that all of that is now over and done because, uh, you know, bad policies have caught up with us. And therefore, the idea that somehow if you wait a little bit here, you can find a bottom in the stock market, in uh, the bond market, in real estate, and uh, buy hand over fist and expect to do well, I think is a very serious error. Uh, This time, we're going to go through years and years and years of some pretty painful economics in a period of correction in which uh, all of this tremendous inflation uh, will get worked out of the system one way or another. And therefore, people need to look, when you're looking, thinking about a balance sheet uh, and, net, and your net worth, your wealth, need to think more about their liabilities and less about how they're going to uh, 
cause their assets uh, to go up in value or, or to appreciate. The assets aren't going to go up. And so the focus now is on liability reduction. If you have debt and you have any extra cash flow, pay it down. If you have some big winners that, uh, you know, you got in the tech market earlier, you bought Apple at, you know, when it was uh, $30 a share or something like that, now would be the time to cash in the winners and pay down your debt because what's going to happen, I think, in the next couple of years is the value of financial assets is going to go down. The market is still way overvalued. And the cost of carrying debt is going to go up because the Fed is not even nearly done pushing interest rates to the level that will be necessary in order to finally bring inflation to heel. Now, that's a different dynamic. The dynamic of the past 30 years was borrow money, it's cheap, it doesn't cost anything, service your debt, use the proceeds uh, to buy assets, they're going to go up, your net worth uh, will increase as a consequence. That's how it works. That wasn't uh, the real world, that, was, uh, that wasn't sustainable, and now we're in the point where assets are going to go down and the cost of liabilities is going to go up. And so the logical thing to do is reduce your holdings of the former and uh, reduce uh, your uh, exposure to higher interest rates as we go forward. That's the first thing. The second thing is it's going to be a very difficult time. We're going to have another big recession. The Fed's lying when it says that it's going to bring about a soft landing. I don't think with the kind of inflation we have today, there's a snowball's chance in the hot place, so to speak. Uh, that they can do that. And so, therefore, there is a risk to people's income, to their jobs. Uh, it's unfair. It's unfortunate. Uh, it was unnecessary, but that's where we are. And so uh, I think, uh, you know, people need to uh, get ready to, um, you know, weather the storm, so to speak. I call it the inflationary storm. But that means that you, if you can find a way to spend a little less on uh, discretionary items, uh, that's that's really what needs to be done. David, if people want to get a copy of your book, The Great Money Bubble, or follow your work online, please tell us how. The book is readily available uh, on Amazon. I think it's in most bookstores. But in terms of the uh, daily commentary that I make uh, that follows uh, along the lines of many things we've been talking about here, uh, I publish a daily newsletter called David Stockman's Contra Corner, in contra, standing for contrarian. It's not what they're going to tell you uh, in the New York Times or Washington Post or CNN or NBC, but it's a, um, you know, I would say honest take on the political financial uh, world uh, and uh, the intersection of all that on what I call the uh, sell the corridor, Washington and Wall Street. And uh, you can find that uh, just by Googling David Stockman's Contra Corner. David Stockman, the book is illuminating and also enlightening. I want to thank you for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thank you. Great to be with you. That concludes another edition of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time. <laughs>